is a reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and purged peace to you who were far away and, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Great reading, Quinn. Those are some challenging words. Okay, let me begin today with a test of local DC geography. So kids, if you know this, you're, you can participate as well. So what is this red line on the, on, can you name this body of water that's the red line? Anacostia. Okay, what about the yellow line? Potomac. Okay, next one. Zoom out a bit. Okay, so what about the purple line? What's that? Still the Potomac, yeah. And then the orange line, Chesapeake Bay. And then the big blue thing on the right side, the Atlantic. All right, so the Anacostia joins the Potomac, the Potomac joins the Chesapeake and becomes the Atlantic. What's the trend in naming here? Once the smaller body joins the larger body of water, what happens? It takes on the name of the larger body, right? That makes sense, right? So when the Ephesians hear what Paul is saying in chapter 2, it doesn't make sense. See, in Paul's words, it seems that the big river ends up joining a smaller river. And it's the smaller river that gives its name or identity to the new river with the two sources joining it. In the Jewish faith of Paul's time, there were only two rivers to describe two different people groups in the world. One was the Jewish people and the other was the Gentiles. The Gentiles were the big river made up of all non-Jewish nations 
stretching across history and all over the world. So that's Mesopotamia, Babylon, Egypt, Greece, China, India, the Mayan and Inca um, empires. Austra even though they didn't come by that point, but they eventually came, right? North, the Australian, North American, South Pacific indigenous people, all Gentiles in the eyes of Israelites. The, the, the people of God were the Hebrew people. The smaller river is made up of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, described here as the community of Israel. And somehow, God chose to operate like this in the world. God chose to reveal the name, the character, and the law of God to the people of Israel. Their people were chosen by God to show the world what a relationship with the living God would look like. But something happened when Jesus showed up on the scene. Jews and Gentiles have come together in Jesus, the Messiah. And as this river continues its way, it bears not only the name of Israel, this smaller river, but a whole new identity, a whole new group of people, of God's people. So in this big picture living, ser uh, living sermon series, we are learning what it looks like to live out our faith in light of this big picture story that God has been unfolding through history and how that story has been crystallized through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Today we're going to look at the second half of Ecclesiastes, oh no, not Ecclesiastes, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to explore how God creates a whole new container for accomplishing this goal of reuniting all things in heaven and earth. That's what chapter 1 was about. So we're going to talk about this new people of God, and we're going to talk about this new container that God has. Now, if you've been following along in this series, chapter 1 of Ephesians communicates this big picture plan of God bringing all things in heaven and earth all together into unity. And you can, if you haven't followed them along and you want to, you can catch up by subs uh, subscribing to our channel on YouTube or our podcast or hop onto our website. You know, as Ephesians unfolds, we find that God's desire is to bring together two realms under Christ to achieve this unity. He talks about thing, bringing together things in heaven and things on earth. And so there's, you can read it this way. There's two kind of obstacles of this unity in heaven and in earth. There's this first realm in the heavens, which is what to do with these spiritual powers. What do these spiritual powers that are going against God's will and against God's people doing? And then in chapter 2 here, in the second half, it shifts the attention to the other part, things on earth, which is the, ch the church. And what do, what, how do we build this people of God through these two very disparate people groups? And that's what we get in verse, chapter 2, verse 15, the goal of it. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This leads us to this passage today. Remember, in Ephesians, Paul uses you, that's the plural you, and we, to refer to you being Gentiles and we being Jews. But in Christ, God intended to create one new humanity out of these two people groups. God has created a new we through Jesus. So what were the points of disconnect between God's people and everyone else? Well, we find almost everything. 
Take a look at verses 11 to 15. They're highlighted on the, in yellow on the screen. We're reminded that gentle pe people were uncircumcised versus circumcised in verse 11. Gentiles were excluded from the commonwealth or the citizenship of Israel in verse 12. They were foreigners to God's covenant promises. There's no chance in experiencing it in verse 12. They were therefore without hope and without God. Therefore, they were far away, verse 13. They were separated by the hostility of the law of Moses. So what are we to do with a God who seems to exclude very clearly? So let's talk through some of these images today. First, we have a physical trait. Circumcision was an identity marker for the people of Israel. It was done to male members' members. It was considered a badge of honor, distinguishing God's people from all the other people groups in the world. Much like, perhaps, we don't have a biological, physical marker as Americans, but we have an American flag or an American passport to say that this makes us different. That was their physical marker. Then we move to a political images of belonging to God's people in verse 12. Gentiles were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. The commonwealth, I'm using it because it seems to be a better translation of the original Greek word than citizenship, although it can imply that as well. But because when we read citizenship, we think, oh, it's just a status on a piece of paper. But commonwealth describes instead this how one benefits being part of a group, of this common good of this entire group. So in this case, commonwealth only comes, the commonwealth of Israel, we only get to enjoy the commonwealth of Israel by being part of God's elected people. That is, being a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. And it's only then that we get to enjoy the promises that God made with Israel. Gentiles had very limited chances of, for enjoying these benefits. And so they were considered as foreigners to the promise of God. And I think that would include most of us today, apart from Jesus. We would never have a chance of being with God without at least following the Torah. Gentiles were excluded physically and politically, but also, therefore, Gentiles were excluded theologically. Because they were not part of Israel, there was, they had no hope, and they were without God. The term translated without God here is the Greek word atheo. It's the word from which we get atheism, which means no God. It literally is no God. Paul is saying that even though the worshipers of pagan gods at the time, like the temple of Artemis in the city of Ephesus or Caesar as God, they were actually worshiping non-gods. Those who worshiped them were actually worshiping something that did not actually exist and therefore had no relationship with the living God of Scripture, the God of Israel. The final distinction between Gentiles and Jews is this moral code, especially in the role of this law of Moses, which is also known as the Torah. Here, Paul describes how the law of Moses was the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And when he talks about destroying this barrier, it doesn't mean that rules and regulations of the Torah are completely hostile and rendered useless and tossed out. But one key function of the law of Moses was to distinguish Jews from Gentiles. So that's why the, the Torah included moral codes from which we get you know, ten, the Ten Commandments, but the Torah also included 
religious ceremonial laws of this is how you are conduct, to conduct worship services in worshiping the Lord. But also, it contained laws about how to function as a civil society because they were creating a new nation, trusting God. And finally, there was also specific laws to distinguish this ethnic group that worshipped the living God from all the other ethnic groups around them. And so that's why there were rules about physical markers like circumcision. That's why there were rules about the kinds of food you could eat or not eat to distinguish yourself from the other nations. And there were rhythm markers in, Jewish calendar, in the Jewish calendar of this is how you are to celebrate and remember my provision to you and to, to, to remember my trust, uh, uh, got your trust in me as your provider. These were all, but however, these were all these individuating markers of God's people, but they're as an ethnic group, but now they were rendered inert since the arrival of Jesus. So all these barriers of separation were now torn down because of this new covenant that God established with God's son, Jesus. All divine promises of the former covenant were now fulfilled completely in Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, saying, In fact, the ministry of Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, that's the old covenant, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So what were once two very distinct people groups, one who had the possibility of being joined to God and one without any possibility, has now become a new people group in Jesus. What now joins these people? Everyone here would say Jesus, right? Yeah. But what exactly about Jesus is it that joins these people and unites them together? It's not that Jesus is a good teacher and has something to, for us to learn how to be good people. Or it's not just that Jesus lives out the character of God's love perfectly. Yes, Jesus does do all those things. But it's the manner in which he does those things that we find ultimately is displayed on the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus reconciles people to God. On the cross, Jesus reconciles Jews with Gentiles. On the cross, Jesus reconciles heaven and earth. And on the cross, Jesus reconciles the moral demands of the law and our, the human inability to live them out completely. And on the cross, Jesus fulfills the markers of the law of Moses that were designed to distinguish God's people from all the other people groups in himself. That's what Paul says in 2.15 when he says, in the flesh, that's Jesus on the cross, set aside the law with its commands and regulations. Setting aside doesn't mean like you don't have to do them anymore, but the, the, the distinguishing feature of the law of Moses to make God's people God's people was no longer required according to the law. But the mark of being God's people was whether they trusted in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So that's the question for us here today. If God unites all people through Jesus, the question is whether we believe and whether we live as if the cross of Jesus is what unites us. Or do we find some other identity marker to unite us? We identify maybe our Christian faith theological convictions. 
as what unites us, or our political leanings, or social or sexual ethics as conservative or progressive. We find those things to unite us. But, or maybe we identify our life experience as either the oppressed or the privileged as what unites us. Actually, most of us probably don't identify with being privileged, right? Because we can always find something that we're oppressed or marginalized by. We tend to create some other barrier of hostility that deems some to be in and some to be out based on whatever we think is important to us, whether it's shared grievances or shared fears or whether it's even shared definitions of inclusion. But on the cross of Christ, Jesus on the cross knocks down all of those barriers. Because on the cross of Christ, we say that all of our former identity markers, ethnic, cultural, social, theological, political, they no longer hold ultimate sway in our lives. It doesn't mean we can't have them, but they are not the ultimate things that unite. On the cross of Christ, everything that we have counted as essential to my sense of self-determination, my sense of self-confidence, or even self-affirmation, they have been nailed to the cross and buried with Jesus in faith. And because Jesus has passed through the grave, we are given a new sense of affirmation, a new sense of confidence that doesn't depend on our identity markers, but simply on the life and the way of Jesus. So the question for us as Jesus followers is, will we identify with the cross of Jesus as our identity marker? That identification happens internally within our hearts when we say yes to Jesus and trust in him. But it also happens relationally with fellow Jesus followers who are trying to do the same. See, in Christ, we belong to a new people group with a new identity marker. If you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus or you're on this journey towards Jesus, but you've never been baptized, maybe that's one step of identity marker to be baptized in Jesus' name. In Colossians chapter 2, which is a parallel uh, uh, letter to, to Ephesians, he says this, Paul says, in him, that's Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised with Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What Paul alludes to here in Colossians, he ex- uh, in Ephesians, he explicitly states in Colossians, baptism in Jesus' name is the new identity marker for Jesus' followers that parallels circumcision for Jews. If you have never been baptized, or maybe you've been baptized as a child but never confirmed, perhaps one, this is one practical way to join this new humanity of Jesus' followers that seeks to live in union and intimacy with God. And if that's you, I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like for you in your journey with Jesus. So maybe you've been listening and following along, and you say, Andrew, you talked about this larger river of Gentiles, Christians joining the the smaller river of Jewish Jewish, uh, followers of, of God. So what, what do we call this new group? What is this new humanity in Christ? 
You see, there's both continuity and discontinuity between the, in this new people. This new people group isn't completely Gentile, and this new people group isn't completely Jewish. There is continuity with the Jewish faith because Gentiles have now been included with Jews in God's covenant promises to Israel. But at the same time, there is discontinuity because this new people group isn't just Israel 2.0. It's not a development of Israel. It's a completely new creation. Remember, God does, in Christ, God purposed to create one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This new people group is not some compound of two materials, like taking some yellow Play-Doh and red Play-Doh and mashing it together. It's not bringing the greatest hits of the Gentiles and the greatest hits of the Jews and creating a super band and super album. Anyone care to guess what album this is? I, I used AI image generation to take two artists to create a new record album. Any guesses? And what? Okay, that's pretty close. So I said, Michael Jackson's Thriller with Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. <laughs> Two great artists combined together. That's, but that's not what God is doing in this new people group. <laughs> so we can get Taylor Swift and Michael Jackson gets you Janet Jackson, right? Instead, it's a completely new humanity that transcends the old entities. Gentile inclusion as God's people means we get to enjoy the privileges of God's covenant promises to Israel, but these privileges actually transcend the blessings promised to Israel. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, for those who have been joined to Jesus, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There is nothing that is held back. This exceeds God's covenant promises to Israel. There is nothing held back. All of God's promises are available to those who trust in Jesus. So, this new nature and this new blessing cannot be contained in one particular ethnic group, like the Hebrew people. It also cannot be contained in any other people group based on culture, based on language, based on region, based on nationality, or based on time period. That's why the Christian faith is actually the most inclusive faith in the world when it comes to ethnicities and people groups. Because no matter what language you speak, no matter what time period you live in, no matter what uh, expressions of worship you have, when you come to Jesus, you bring all of that to Jesus, and God receives it, and God welcomes it all to come into this new kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace through Jesus. But here's the thing. Though Jesus makes the most exclusive claims, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. You can't get to God except through Jesus. And of course, there's this whole parallel conversation. Well, what are people, people who don't know? Well, we can have a conversation on the side. If you want to talk, come and talk to me after. Though Jesus makes the most exclusive claims, what he invites his followers to is the most inclusive way of living in the world. Though Jesus makes the most exclusive claims, he invites his followers into the most inclusive way 
of living in the world. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he isn't inviting people to Judaism. He isn't inviting people to a new faith or a new religion. He's inviting people to God, into living in relationship and being joined with God. He invites us to a new way of living in this kingdom where Jesus is our Savior, but Jesus is also the leader of our lives and gets to call the shots in all parts of our lives and in our world. So this new people group that identifies with Jesus requires this new container, a whole new category of group identification beyond our human classification systems. And this new category, this new container is simply the church of Jesus Christ. So let me just be straight with you. That means that the pinnacle of God's blessings are not upon the American people in the 21st century. Has God blessed America? Yeah. Will God continue to bless America? I hope so. But I think I can say the same for all the other nations in the world. Does God need America to be a Christian nation to bless the world? No. God doesn't need America to be Christian in the same way that God didn't need the British Empire, didn't need the Roman Empire to advance the kingdom of God, though God did do that. God's new humanity is not an empire. God's new humanity is not a nation state. It's the church of Jesus Christ made up of people who have encountered the good news of a crucified Savior who resurrected from the grave and has ascended and whose people live their lives completely in the way of Jesus in the world by God's grace. That's the new humanity through which God chooses to work and to accomplish this work of blessing the entire world through God's Son, Jesus. In the last part of Ephesians 2, Paul switches to these new metaphors, a couple of new metaphors for God's people. He calls God's people a, a household, a dwelling, a building, a temple, and a dwelling place. And let's just be clear here. The church building, physical building, is not the people of God. And as beautiful as cathedrals are and places of worship, including this place, which we are incredibly grateful for, this is not the people of God. They are not meant to be fundamental identity markers for Jesus' followers. Neither should our theological convictions or denomination be fundamental identity markers. The people are. People who've given their lives in trust to Jesus. And the people are the church. Paul makes a profound statement here in these final verses. Uh, we didn't quite read the last verse, but that upends the ex expectation of where God's presence would be expected to come and live and remain for Paul's hearers. In fact, it still upends the expectation of practicing Jews today. The fullness of God's spirit isn't limited to a building of brick and stone. It isn't limited to a physical temple in Jerusalem. The fullness of God's Spirit has been given to God's people who have been joined to Jesus in faith. God chooses to dwell and reveal God's life and love through followers of Jesus belonging to the worldwide church of Jesus' followers. Here's the thing. This means that any follower of Christ, anyone who has responded to God's invitation of forgiveness and reconciliation through faithful trust in Jesus, and lives out that faith in community with the church of Jesus Christ, has access to the fullness of God's presence in the Holy Spirit. 
And that's something we can be grateful for. Let me say this, especially as someone who spent formative years in the Pentecostal charismatic traditions, the metaphors of buildings here refer to the entire body of Christ, not individuals. So God's, so God is saying in him, in Christ, these two people groups have been joined together to be the holy temple of the Lord, this new container for the Holy Spirit. So God's spirit dwelling here isn't meant to be heard only in an individual sense, but in a corporate sense. Does the spirit of God live in us and dwell in us when we trust in Jesus? Yes. But the fullness of God's spirit, the fullness of God's presence is displayed through the body of Christ that is the church. So there's some implications of this new household. If you've been baptized and you count yourself to be part of this particular faith community that is WCF, one way to live this out, this reality, is to consider what it means to be a member here at WCF or any other church for that matter. If you're listening online, we encourage you, find a local expression of Jesus' followers to join, to grow, to serve, and to enjoy the fullness of the God's Spirit with. See, being a member doesn't do anything about our change our status before God. It doesn't change the quality of our faith, but it does say something about what we believe about God's Spirit. Membership says that we believe our potential identity markers, whether it's theological distinctives or whether it's past disappointments and hurts from other church communities, those things are not going to be the markers for us moving forward. It could be something else too. Expressing our unity in, through the new people of God in membership, whether it's here at WCF or any other local church expression, for the time that you're there, says, my autonomy, my individuation, and even my past hurts are not more important than the witness of the body of Christ in a particular group of people. That is the local church. A wise person once said, everyone wants community and intimacy. But you can't get those things without accountability and commitment. Everybody wants intimacy and community, but you can't experience those, those things to its depths without accountability and commitment. And this membership says, I want to join the Spirit's work with a particular group of people where that can take place. And membership and all these things that aren't meant to be like tickets and things like that to enforce and codes to enforce. It's simply an invitation saying, I'm part of this household. I'm part of this family. And that matters. And the Holy Spirit's here. And I want to work with that. <clears throat> God has birthed this whole new container for revealing the life and love of God in the world. It's not an empire. It's not a nation state. It's not a philosophy. It's called the church, made up of people who have been joined to Jesus and who seek to live out that union with Jesus as a community. And no church community is perfect, including this one, but the Holy Spirit is, and we trust the Holy Spirit is at work by God's gracious, gracious action, and God dwells in us together. And it gives us great hope for me, for us, and for God's reconciling work in the world. May it be so. Amen.